The Brillo Girls is our fortnightly soapbox filled with conversations about art, life and everything that falls in between. Join us as we navigate and share their stories, celebrating the good, the bad and the ugly. Perhaps something you thought was ordinary is extraordinary. And I'm Theresa Sia. And thank you so much for joining us again. We have a wonderful guest with us this week in the studio, offering a generous insight into the intricacies of his art practice that may at times be quite challenging and yet exciting. It's a bit of a long episode this week, so we hope if you're driving, it's a long commute. Perhaps you are listening to this late at night in your home or studio and that you stick with us to the end. We discuss quite a few topics that may instigate more questions than answers. Today is very exciting. My first encounter with our special guest today goes way back to our very first meeting at university. As a student, we had to perform the anxiety-ridden welcome my name is blah blah blah. Anyway, I recalled your name being called out. You were sitting slightly behind the lecturer. You raised your hand and I saw there's a beaming smile and I knew then we were going to be friends. We have a Gurnpool artist that is part of the Gwandamooka country. One of my good friends, Ashley Perry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks Hi, for having me. <laughs> Lovely to have you here. Cool. Thanks for having me. Now, most people um, look don't know this about you, um, and that is your heritage is um, from the Gwapul, Gwanta. Oh, sorry, you have to say um, that for me. So, I'm a Gurnpool artist from Gwandamooka country. For people who don't know, that's the islands off the southeast coast of Queensland. Mm-hmm. Straight yeah. Island. Yep, North Island. Island um, also known as Minjaraba. Um, and the, the, is this the north part of Stroboke Island? Is that or are they? Do they differentiate between St. North yeah, and South? Yeah, so there's two islands from uh, Minjaraba, like North Stroboke, and so is like a large north kind of island, which is like a sand kind of. It's a sand island. Uh, and the South Island is a really, really kind of small, more swampy island that has a resort on it. Mm-hmm. They're initially one island and actually broke apart, I think, in the early 1920s, um, around, oh, sorry, maybe later than that. It was around one of the world wars. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole history about like a kind of boat sort of um The people beaching. themselves? The people themselves? Lit up or, oh, no. or did the government – is this a government No, like, so the, ge- ge- the, the geography oh, of the, the, oh, the oh, island actually split up. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry. Yeah, so, okay, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the geography of the island kind of split up uh, when a boat kind of beached on the bank that connected both the islands and when it was being destroyed because it had, like, a whole bunch of supplies on it, um, it actually blew enough of the sand out that it actually kind of broke the islands into two. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What force? What an interesting um, yeah. Yeah, beginning. So, so were you born uh, in Stra- at Strabo? Uh No. So I was actually born in Melbourne. Um, oh, okay. So my mum was uh, living down in Melbourne at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I don't know. I always think it's kind of quite interesting. I've had this sort of question before um, for shows where, you know, they'll want to kind of identify artists and where they're born. And mm-hmm. I think being Indigenous artists, you know, that's a kind of question because I think, you know, it might be, were you born in country? But then in my case, like, I wasn't. So I think it's, like, it's something interesting, which I think about, like, a bit as well. Like, yeah, yeah. what that kind of means. And, yeah. And uh, 
Have you gone back home at all or have you pretty much lived here in, in Melbourne? Yeah, so I lived on uh, Minjaraba till I was about six mm-hmm. um, and then mum and dad broke up and we, like me, mum and my brother moved down to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always kind of went back and visited about once a year or once every two years. Um, so we've always had like a kind of connection to our family up there and we would visit every kind of Christmas or sometime during winter, Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is quite, yeah. So mm-hmm. lived down here most of my life. No, lovely, lovely. Um, so Ash, tell us a little bit how you got started in arts since, you know, you moved back to Melbourne and made this your home. Um, did you study art in school or, or was there any artists in your family that you were inspired by or influenced by that perhaps you thought you'd like to take? Uh, this journey yeah. as an artist, yeah. Um, yeah, so there were no um, artists kind of in my family. My mum practised pottery when we lived up on uh, North Stradbroke. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like a pottery kind of club there. Um, but there were no kind of artists sort of practising in my family, I think, before me that I'm aware of. My, well, my grandma on dad's side does some painting, but it's kind of um, sort of a hobby sort of pastime. I think she never pursued it in a professional sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always kind of interested in that, I think, through primary school. Um, you know, mum used to take us to a lot of exhibitions. You know, I think when I got into high school, I sort of pursued it as the electives for year 11 and 12. Yeah. Um, and I was quite lucky the school that I went to had printmaking facilities, and so it was kind of really nice to have some of these other forms of art that I hadn't been exposed to prior to that point um, kind of opened up in terms of like printmaking and we also had a really great ceramicist um, as one of the other tutor, like kind of teachers who also took some time with our class if people were interested in doing sculpture to yeah. teach them sort of things as well. So I was really lucky to have some of those things opened up. Mm-hmm. So what was the crunch that made you want to pursue it, go to university to study art? Did you have some sort of plan in your mind that you wanted to be a particular artist or study a particular medium? I guess my journey to university, I don't know, maybe a bit different to uh, other artists um, because I sort of worked for a couple of years after I actually finished high school. Um, I worked as a restaurant manager um, before I went back to university to study other, like a two other course. So I initially started at university studying psychology and computer science um, in a double degree. And then I sort of did the first. How did you find that? <laughs> Um, it was quite hard um i went really well in some subjects but Mm. pretty awful in others yeah and i think even though i have a lot of interests in those areas i think i realized it wasn't the passion that i had Mm -hmm. and i kind of thought after working in restaurants for so long and earning next to nothing Mm -hmm. um i was like well you know there's nothing to lose in terms of pursuing maybe career in the arts um and so i initially went to uh frankston chisholm tafe um did a diploma there in visual art um, before I went to the VCA okay. after that. And and you went there to study sculpture and special practices, is that right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. How did you find that? Did uh, Was sculpture something uh, that you were attracted to or? Um, what materials did you use back then? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Throw my mind back to all these years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like so when I was in high school, I really kind of pursued a drawing and printmaking practice. Yeah. Um, so I did like a lot of lino cuts and kind of block uh, printing sort of work. And then I think through going to the TAFE, um, that really opened up my eyes to the potentials of um, a spatial kind of sculptural practice and medium. Um, you know, we learned bronze there. We learned a whole bunch of Marquette kind of making skills. 
Um, at TAFE. Yeah. Oh, TAFE. that's great. That's really good. Yeah, they have, yeah. have some really mm. amazing facilities now at Franks. I'm not sure, you know, what's still happening there now because I've yeah. been in touch recently. But, um, yeah, like, I really got into um, sort of timber craft kind of stuff as well, like sort of really learning to hone kind of – starting to hone my skills in um, furniture kind of making and sort of some of these kind of more fine – timber sculpture kind of uh practices mm-hmm. um so i think when i eventually went to the vca which i think was at the completion of my time at the chisholm tafe i then sort of took a lot of the things i learned there into that sort of practice so i was kind of making any things that built on my skills that i had developed in kind of timber works and sort of that fine furniture sort of medium mm-hmm. but then also i think the influences i had in terms of the artists who i was looking at uh had a real impact on my practice as well so i think there were also like a lot of ex- like kind of experimental sort of pieces into technology and sort of using uh new media as well as um maybe more conceptual based on minimalist kind of ideas as well so and were you introduced to this in university or was it these artists you were looking at prior to that and you just wanted to engage further with um what they were doing with your own practice some of these artists i think i was initially kind of connected through through visiting exhibitions during my time at tafe Mm-hmm. Um, so they do kind of excursions to um, exhibitions mm-hmm. in Melbourne, like the NGV and stuff like that, to see big shows. Um, and so that was, I kind of think, some of my initial exposure and also through to, uh, talking to the lecturers at the TAFE as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had Bill Hay, who was like a really generous kind of teacher of mine in printmaking, who I think exposed me to like a lot of um, sort of 1970s conceptual art, which then I think I carried through that interest into uh, my time at university and really started mm-hmm. going deeper into all the practices that existed during that time. Um, so I think, yeah, I'd say Solo Whip was kind of my gateway drug. Yeah. Into that. <laughs> no, we love yeah. him too. <laughs> Um, so, look, tell us about your actual work that you make. Like, um, I know it's probably transgressed a lot since uh, you were at art school. Um, I guess you are sort of at art school at the moment as well, studying your master's, which is on a bit of a sabbatical, I guess. Um, but, yeah, tell us a little bit about the imagery that you use. Like, do you draw it from your own experiences or do you go finding images or, uh, look, Fill us in. Tell us yeah. where it comes from. Or what do you do? What, what are the material? What are they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us it all. I mean, like, lift them off and we'll be sitting here yeah. listening yeah. to you. We could be here all day. Give <laughs> yeah. us um, a visual, I guess, you know, so um, yeah. our listeners can have, like, a bit of an idea, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I kind of work in a lot of different mediums. I kind of always had this sort of idea for my practice that I never wanted to tie myself down as the artist who did a particular thing. Mm-hmm. And so... I guess the way I've sort of um I've got around that is sort of jumping between different medias uh to kind of realize work. So working in a new media kind of space of 3D modeling or doing mm-hmm. programming as art to jumping back to sort of fine furniture kind of stuff or um the glass works that I make or kind of the drawing works that I make, which mm-hmm. are sort of just maybe more traditional. Um so would you say the materials drive your concepts or would you say your concepts then drive the materials that you use? Yeah. I think um, for me the concepts definitely come first. I normally sort of um, think of an idea and sort of try to work out how I want to represent it in materials. Mm-hmm. So I know initially like, so I kind of work in two different ways. It's almost like kind of dual practice where I'll even have research projects kind of happening where I'll be kind of researching archives and collections of stories and those sort of sources to then develop works. But also I think I have other ideas that kind of come to me through other sort of sources as well. And then they're the ones that I might sort of kind of go, well, what would be the best medium to tell or have this discussion in or sort of realise, mm-hmm. you know, the work 
that I want to kind of realize. Yeah. Uh, oh, look, you touched on this, that you said you use archival material. Uh, what is this archival material? Is it? Uh, can you explain a little bit further? Is it something that you draw on uh, randomly, or do you go in search of mm. um, special, you know, images? I guess. Or yeah. What are these archives? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I essentially draw on uh, very many archives, and this kind of came out. The honors project I started when I was going through my honors year, I think a couple of years back, um, and I started kind of looking at a whole bunch of different collections, so university collections, museum collections. Of, what what are these collections like? Uh, well, so they're collections of uh, collections, you know. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, so they're collections of objects or kind of information that is directly connected to Southeast Queensland. Okay. Um, and then search, I'm searching for anything that maybe directly connects to Kwanamuka country. Mm-hmm. Um, so the country that my family's from. So there might not necessarily be objects that are connected to my, like, mobile clan, but uh, objects that kind of connect to my country. Because I think often it's hard to sort of distinguish maybe who exactly from mm-hmm. and sort of trying to source those kind of materials. Um, and so I've sort of been looking at a whole bunch of different sources for those. So uh, museum collections both in Australia but also internationally, uh, kind of also literature as well. And so from that, uh, those archives, I kind of draw those materials out in terms of the records I can collect and sort of created my own archive of essentially anything that I can find that relates to the country that I'm from. Okay, yeah. And then I use that material to then, I think, produce works and sort of delve into those materials to find stories and objects of interest to then sort of tease out into artworks. So, can you tell us some of these stories? What What are the stories that you've created? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's kind of taken a few different forms. So I've had an ongoing project uh, where I've been essentially finding records of objects from, let's say, books or from journal articles or diaries from settlers or really kind of early uh, people living in Kwanamuka Country, and they might describe. Um, an object, but the object doesn't seem to have a physical trace within the archive, so I haven't found where that object might be to actually source it. So I've been kind of making these 3D models that kind of try to understand what this object is in terms of how it was used or its purposes, or maybe some of the visual descriptions of it to describe what it might be in a 3D model kind of space. Um, When you say 3D model, are you actually making something in 3D or is this in a computer space? Yeah, so they're made um, in 3D. So they're made in a computer, sorry, they're made in a <laughs> um, 3D modeling software. Okay. Um, and so they actually purely, I can't even intend them to actually only exist as a 3D model. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've kind of worked with them being displayed as videos on screens, um, being displayed as print, like kind of a digital print. Why have you been drawn to that digital space? Why have you not sort of drawn, you know, like use a pencil, for example, and and sketched out, you know, Mm. a model that you're thinking of you know um why the 3d space yeah yeah um so the reason why i've produced them in 3d like in the 3d modeling software Mm -hmm. is because i guess that's kind of where my interests lie in terms of my skill set like i'm really interested in 3d modeling and what can kind of be achieved in that space um you know the ties between that and kind of industrial design and how that maybe links to a history of um kind of modern sculpture as well i think the fact that these objects aren't traceable as well like i can't actually find the source they where they are or they might not even exist anymore mm-hmm. i kind of think that they sort of exist out of a physical kind of space mm-hmm. potentially or at least a physical space that i can access so i'm really interested in what that means maybe conceptually mm-hmm. and so i kind of think of the 3d model um 
as being potentially of a different time or maybe existing out of time. Mm. Um, and do you leave that 3D model in, in that sort of space or do you actually eventually make one or print one out into a three-dimensional space? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so far I haven't. I've printed them but only for my own purposes. Okay. Um, so my brother actually has a small 3D printer um, mm. at his place and so I printed off a few of them and sort of assembled them because you often have to mm. print them in multiple parts because yeah. they're quite complex objects. But I've never actually shown them in exhibitions. I've only ever shown like essentially videos of those 3D models or three digital prints of them. Yeah, okay, yeah. excellent. I wouldn't say, like, I think it's something which I'm interested in the future, but it's just working out what maybe media, like medium they need to be in. Mm. Um, I have thought about, like, whether they could be in bronze or some other kind of yeah. thing because I just think the 3D printed aesthetic isn't what is right for the yeah. actual objects. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, the 3D printing aspect is um, – Look, it's sort of been around for a little while, but I guess the popularity has been happening in the last sort of 10 years where it's become a little bit more accessible for, you know, the normal person every day. Yeah, who, having one at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Printing one out. Um, but there's a place that um, I haven't personally used, but I do uh, speak to them a bit. Um, and you can use things like, you know, ceramic clay, Mm. Um, concrete, um, you know, various types of perspex, um, trying to think metals even, mm. yeah, they can actually get these cast. So uh, something that, you know, especially the ceramic part has been around for quite a while, but actually has been, you know, a popularity um, thing because, you know, it's a funny space and, you know, why, you know, is it, is it manufactured or commercialism if you mm. use something that is um, technically uh, not made by hand, I guess, yeah. you know. I mean, when you think about 3D printing, and especially like these sacred objects potentially as well, you want to treat them right. So, I mean, I'm in the same space as you where you want to treat these objects with respect, like printing them out in the 3D materials, like the plastic is, isn't going to be the right thing. And then when you transfer that into like metals and stuff, then you also like, that's not right too, because in some cases they're made out of wood, you know, handmade. Mm. And then you want to try to, I like that you keep it to yourself and then like show it in a different light Yeah, in that sense. And I think that kind of comes from the fact that some of these objects that I don't, like I don't know what materials they're actually made mm. from because maybe that mm. wasn't recorded, but the purpose yeah. of them. So like, I mean, speaking quite generally, but like one of the objects is a sinker for Duke on Nets. Um, Sorry, say that again? A, it's a sinker? A sinker, like for yeah. essentially like the sinker that you'd use to hold something down underwater. Um, and this is for Juvenile. Like an anchor? Yeah, very yeah, similar to yeah. anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's like the fishing kind of terminology yeah, for like, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like those little metal things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but one for a dugon net. And so, you know, I haven't seen specifically this object and what it might look like. And obviously it has to have some kind of weight to it. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's things that maybe kind of go, well, maybe it couldn't be a wood um, or certain timbers because that would float. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know maybe it could be stone or maybe it could be something else, but without knowing that, then it kind of leaves things open. But I think leaving them in the three D model space kind of leaves that potentially more open because I think they, for me, they have like a I've maybe purposely, but they have like kind of like they don't obviously look like um objects that you would uh sorry traditionally kind of associate with um indigenous kind of artifacts or mm-hmm. um objects as well so mm-hmm. i think you know they have like maybe a slightly sci-fi 
kind of feel to them or a slightly different kind of time as well. Uh, is that your interpretation of these things or what you've um, discovered in reading or, you know, the archives that you've been looking at? Oh, it's oh, it's kind of my interpretation. So kind of yeah. I think yeah. how I've sort of interpreted them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that comes from a space of, you know, not being able to see them or witness them and they're only kind of coming from uh, conversations or from, you know, reading from the archive. Or, mm. Yeah, know. yeah. Um, okay, uh, I wanted to ask you too, um, so I heard you had a, a very interesting commission uh, sort of happened last year, uh, which was part of the celebrations of Melbourne University's 150 years um, of being a school, mm-hmm. uh, and it was called First Commissions. So look, that in itself I think is a very interesting title. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I... Just to sort of describe it a little bit, um, there were five uh, artists chosen from dis- different disciplines at the university, that's from theatre, music, visual arts. Film and TV. Film and TV. Dance as well. Uh, and dance, is that? Yeah. Also yeah. part of theatre. Mm. Yeah, I can, it's a tricky project to speak about. Um, that's okay. But it's like. Can we start off maybe with the title? Yeah. Who came up with the first commissions? Like it sounds um, like the first settlement, I guess, sort of. <laughs> Very same I mean, point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> have I gone somewhere I shouldn't have? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, like, for me it was a really interesting project to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how, did it, how did it come about? Like um, an application process? Yeah. Or was, was it a um, – what was it, you know, what was it celebrating for the 150 years of the university? Like, yeah, yeah. is there a huge connection there or – so? The First Commission's project was kind of the final project for the university for the 150 years celebration. Mm-hmm. And it was came out of the university really thinking about how can they support practices after they finish um, studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd actually applied for this kind of opportunity um, just going to master's and their intent wasn't to actually have current students, but I'd actually already completed degrees with Melbourne Uni in the past. Um, but it was really them kind of trying to work out a way that they can kind of support recent graduates in terms of having their first kind of commission. And that was the concept that they sort of had. Mm-hmm. So trying to pick really emerging new artists who are kind of, you know, this might potentially be their first opportunity or maybe even their, mm-hmm. you know, maybe their first paid opportunity. Mm, that's great. Um, so I think it had some, they had some really, really good um, intentions. Okay. Um, and I think it's a project that they're really hoping to actually continue into the future. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. Like when I first heard of it, I thought it um, sounded great, especially for students who have just graduated, um, to give them an idea of what it means to do something that's mm. been commissioned mm. due to the fact of the type of work that you do. Especially bringing you overseas. Like that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah well, exactly. Tell us about the concept here because um, you know, it took you all the way to Italy, Florence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it had kind of two parts to it. So mm-hmm. there was an exhibition that happened in Melbourne that had I think 30 or 32 I can't remember the exact number, 32 recent graduates made work for it that were commissioned. Mm-hmm. Um, still under the banner of first commission. Still under the banner of first commission. And were they all visual artists or? Uh, so there were a whole bunch of different artists. Um, so I guess art or cultural practice in like its broadest sense. So they had uh, musicians who composed new works for, works for it. Uh, theatre makers um production students as well um uh artists um filmmakers so there were a whole bunch of different ways that kind of people sort of approached it and from different fields so i think they really want to kind of offer the support to a whole bunch of different 
um, you know, all the different graduates that come out of the VCA. And was the brief the same, uh, having this group show as what you participated in Italy with the other, uh, you know, four other students? Yeah. So um, there were multiple briefs. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, Wow, very complicated. Yeah, that was very, very complicated. <laughs> so each brief had uh, five artists. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, dedicated, given, to, dedicated that. to that brief. Oh, um, okay. And an artist from essentially besides our brief who had two, art, like, two visual artists. Uh, myself and Esther Stewart. Uh, it had like normally an artist from different kind of fields, and each kind of brief was different. So we had the one which was to respond to uh, human perfection, um, but there were other briefs uh, around, which was also referencing uh, Michelangelo's uh, day. Yes. Yeah. 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 So when the project was first kind of announced, we weren't told what the briefs were actually referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of made the responses without knowing the exact references, but all the briefs that were given out were kind of briefs from famous artworks. Mm. So I think uh, one of them was the a brief kind of roughly tied to the Titanic, the ship, oh, not the oh. movie. We're going to make that clear, not the movie. Yeah. <laughs> was there actually any um, university references to these, um, you know, concepts? Like um, does... Was there any link between Michelangelo, for example, or the Titanic that they went this way? Like, why did they go in that direction? Of, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> What's the word? Um, I think it's sort of a bit mixed. I think they're trying to pick really important works um, for the time. So each kind of brief sort of dealt with maybe a different kind of issue or sort of social idea. Um, some of them were quite political. Um, and I know for the Michelangelo one, it was kind of this idea that that was his first commission brief as well. Um, I'm pretty sure, mm. and that's why that's sort of tied in. I don't know if every brief was mm. necessarily the like the artist kind yeah. of first experience. Um, so, how did you feel working to like a brief? Like artists normally don't work like designers, yeah. <laughs> you know. That actually has to have an outcome due to you know, I guess the brief, the questions mm. being asked. But how did you find working in that sort of scenario? Because yeah. normally artists create their own. Their own brief. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> their own <laughs> yeah. concepts, their own, you know, desires basically. Yeah, yeah. I definitely found it hard. Um, I rarely work to kind of – I don't work as a commission kind of artist. Like I mm. don't make that kind of work. Yeah. And I don't always seek out those kind of opportunities. Um, so I think I learnt things from it in terms of going through that process, but I did find it – I think when I went into it, I didn't know what the brief that I was going to receive would have been. Um, and I didn't realize it would be something that would be so ajar to where my work currently was in terms of my own studio practice and the work that I was making just by myself. Mm-hmm. And so I really actually struggled with it for a number of weeks, kind of trying to work out how to deal with a brief that I wasn't at the time that interested in. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have a lot to say in terms of these ideas of human perfection. And so it was kind of took me quite a long time to sort of juggle with that and work out how to actually deal with it. And resulted in me kind of going back to some older works and kind of using some strategies and sort of ideas of kind of trying to tease out a concept around drawing on uh, different material to sort of explore that. But it was, yeah, it was hard, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Did you also, uh, because it was for other people in your group, was there also a form of collaboration between you guys? Like did you guys all meet and discuss and perhaps feed each other with some ideas or was it pretty much in isolation, you know, and, and that you just were formally a group. Yeah, we were just formally a group. So we most we worked on our projects kind of quite separately. I think we had maybe a couple of conversations like 
and meetings, but it wasn't like a discussion that we're really teasing out ideas as a group. Um, yeah. No. Oh, Teresa mentioned too that you um, were also taken to Florence to see David. What was that part of the uh, – how was that journey? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Huh? No, 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 that's fine. Um, yeah, so I guess one of the outcomes from that commission was showing our works in Florence. Uh, mm. We showed at the Dalcademia – no, uh, we showed at the art school that's actually beside the, um, the museum that houses David. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of really interesting to have those works sort of positioned in the building beside David. So let us um, let me have this clip. You actually created the work in Australia before you went to see David, uh, and did you bring the work you created here to Florence? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I did. Um, well, I think this is kind of important thing to talk about because I don't mm. know exactly who the audience for this podcast will be, but mm. it, for me that was a real big learning experience. So mm. I'd made my work, which was sort of a steel structure, that how that sort of had iPads mounted to it that played video works. Um, and those video works kind of went alongside um, glass pieces that had printed images on. Um, what was the printed images on the glass? Uh, so the printed images were stock images taken from stock image archives and there were images that related to ideas of um, human perfection and beauty and mm-hmm. some of these kind of related con- uh, concepts. Um, and so they were kind of all sort of brought together into this like sort of lateral sort of structure that kind of held all these things. Um, obviously steel is quite heavy and quite expensive <laughs> oh, no. to ship to Italy. <laughs> so, um, I mean, did they, did they mention this before, before you made the work that, you know, you had to have a weight limit? <laughs> I, um, rough weight limits were discussed. <laughs> I probably either exceeded them or got quite close to. And I think that was kind of a learning sort of experience because I kind of think having never done sure, one before. Yeah, like yeah. never I've produced I think one work before for overseas, but I actually produced it overseas. Yeah. Um, well, that was my other question. Like, um, could you not have sourced perhaps some, you know, metal and created the metal structures in Italy or was that time or complications not? you know yeah i think like i think in reflection i probably would have made the work differently so i could have done more work in italy mm-hmm. um having only worked on one overseas project which was in in indonesia mm-hmm. um i found by the time the project was up after two weeks i'd become really connected with the local community and i had learned where to get materials from you know who to talk to about getting the stuff they needed to be able to make the work but it was after the work had already been finished yeah, yeah, yeah. so i kind of was quite aware that if i was to do that i would have had to have been in italy potentially for a month yeah. to make the work mm. um and you know I barely speak any italian like it's only like greetings <laughs> and yeah um a lot of pointing a lot of this yeah so i was concerned about how that could have realized or you know even yeah. finding a space to build yeah, work like that to do it, yeah so I think there would have been ways I could have changed it to. I had a similar issue a uh, few years ago because um, I had an exhibition uh, in Genoa and um, I made these house structures out of wood and stone and they were actually on plinths of limestone. So my idea at the time, yeah, I'll take it all up there, ship it all up there. <laughs> no problem there. And then until I worked out that, um, oh, it's going to cost a lot of <laughs> So I did a lot of ringing around and asking friends and everything because um, my Italian uh, background, you know, and uh Gorgeous friends, you know, came to the rescue and, um, you know, rang one uncle, ran down, called another uncle and so forth. So I ended up compromising a little bit, but it all turned out. But what I found was I accommodated the sculptures to sort of fit uh, what was happening to me at the time. So what was 
probably happening here, you know, a uh, bit the limestone and so forth, but I sourced different stones up there. So it became a bit more of a uh, an in-situ type, you know, sort of work that yeah. I, I ended up creating. Still had a similar sort of feel, but it became a little bit more Italian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was, the, I guess, you know, underneath it all, there was the concept of my Italian heritage coming through. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, now I understand the shipping thing, you know. It's yeah. like, ooh, yeah, no, <laughs> Oh, no, maybe not. <laughs> I should have spoke to you, Tony, before I did the project. Yeah. Because we've got the Italian connections. We could have got, <laughs> could have got you something You should have interpreter. Like, it would have been perfect. I'm happy to go along anytime you want. <laughs> Take me along. Yeah. Um, Teresa knows that I actually tried to get Teresa to come with me as a tech. Oh, I tried okay. to campaign for that when yeah. I was negotiating contracts and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, I was so excited. Like I was working that night, and um, Ash comes in and goes, "Oh, I've got a great idea. You know, like I, I'm, I really want you to come. You know, and I'm like, oh, I've never been there. Like, I've never been to Europe. Like, oh my god, this is amazing. Mm. Next second later, yeah. we meet again, and yeah, you can't come. You planted the seed. No, I should have. That's fine though, because like yeah. you don't know what it's going to be like. Yeah. You don't know what you know financially, what they're up to, and like it's all part of the whole first time doing it. Exactly, you know? and I think like just to clarify as well, I wasn't trust trying to rot the system. Teresa, I've never thought that. <laughs> a long time kind of technician working with me on exhibitions that I've had. We've mm-hmm. spent days together installing works of mm-hmm. mine. Oh, the stresses. <laughs> The uh, complications that all artists go through. I mean, every artist is different. I'll just <laughs> mention that. Um, with this particular artist, um, Ashley Perry, uh, you know, there's like stresses with type of materiality. You know, you have different ideas, um, like material-wise with different Sometimes people. Sometimes it's so. also the, the banter that you can have yeah. to actually... Uh, you need that support yeah. too. Like you want to... You want to have somebody next to you who's, who's going to tell you how it is and <laughs> laugh at how silly you're being yeah. at like <laughs> early days and early nights and, you know, so, yeah, no, it was fine at that moment. Just making sure that your um, metal structures were fine. <laughs> so who who went with you to Italy? Like, uh... Yeah. um did you all go as a group who were the organizers who 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 organized the exhibition Um, yeah so um the because the exhibition was organized through the university um we obviously had university representation kind of attend um it also was like you know they're aware of the media attention that that kind of project could attract so they sent across kind of people who were specialists in that field uh i believe we had the from australia not yeah from australia um i think there were also some local supporters as well who you know would be able to kind of field some other kind of questions and support there as well um we had obviously all the artists who were in my commission group were attended um to what did the people who had the titanic where'd they go (laughs) 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 oh really they actually did oh dear Uh, poor things they didn't do some super uber diving to try and find the artist. Well, <laughs> that would have been very interesting. We did joke about that, like in terms of once we worked out this is how the project was realised mm-hmm. in terms of sending a group to kind of have a connection with the initial uh, commission that they were based off of, what other commissions would be achievable to do that. Yeah. Um, so there was the Tolkowski film, which I think it's really hard to sort of place a film like relative to a commission that's like yeah. do you just visit a site or you know 
um, can you visit the Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, it's like the whole exhibition is actually in fish tanks. And, yeah. You know, you walk in through the fish tanks, yeah. like at SeaWorld or something. Yeah. Um, one of the commissions was a, a Australian-based artist. So, you know, just sending a team to Melbourne would have been <laughs> ideal. <laughs> Get on the tram and <laughs> well, that was your first trip to Italy. So, tell us, what was the impact of seeing David the first time um, in I'm relation? Not, yeah, it sorry. wasn't technically my first trip to Italy. I've oh, been there okay. once before. Oh, but sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but was that the first time you saw David? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how, how was that? I mean, like, in relation then after seeing David to then the work that you made, like, I know you said before that. Your work may have changed differently if you were in Italy, but did you make any connection with what you? I know this is a loaded question because I've asked several questions in one, but did you have? Um, did you look back at your work and then look at David and feel there was a connection or no connection, or or you felt that perhaps what you made was perhaps not exactly what you thought should have been? Yeah, it's. I mean, there's so many kind of um, things in that. Like, um, it was kind of just taken away when I. Uh, had an opportunity to see David. Um, so we actually did a photo shoot um, in the hall with uh, David. Um, so the museum was actually shut down for a short period of time. I think oh, maybe wow. so we had that opportunity, which actually meant we were fortunate enough to actually spend time with David without the huge kind of crowds and tourism. That did you touch him? Couldn't reach over the barriers. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, you didn't use your metal structure to like touch him. <laughs> Um, we were joking about how it'd be such bad press if one of us accidentally fell and like oh, no. <laughs> no, um, how would you even handle that it's so stressful <laughs> many lawsuits yeah. <laughs> um, no but um, yeah it was just kind of I think taken away sort of seeing like you know uh, being growing up in Australia I think seeing some of these works from overseas um, you know you kind of learn so much about I think the I guess the western kind of canon of art history um but then I think you rarely get to actually engage in terms of seeing his works in mm. a physical space so for me it was really amazing uh being able to do that um I was quite lucky as well with that trip to be able to extend on either side of the project by mm. about a week and a bit oh, great. Uh, which meant I was able to do a little bit more traveling around Italy and visit mm. some other kind of sites and museums yeah the other works yeah um in terms of how my work ended up relative to David without knowing about the brief, but then having that revealed. Um, I think at the time, like, it was probably overwhelmed by the whole experience. Um, but I think in retrospect, for reflecting, I think there are kind of some interesting sort of things that came out in terms of maybe the period of which I make it in where discussions around uh, human perfection are very different to maybe a sort of commission church-driven Mm-hmm. ideal that's kind of funded by powerful families of Italy at the time, um, where I think maybe my work kind of comes from more of social consciousness or sort of kind of working in this space where we're challenging um, maybe media perceptions of what human perfection can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're seeing recent years like a lot of kind of, um, I think, broader discussions about what that is. Um, so I think, you know, thinking about them relative, I think they're both of a period of time and I think um, there's definitely connections between it. I think maybe if I'd known that I was making work about David, it would have been quite different. Mm-hmm. So in the past I have made works that directly reference other artworks. So I think if I had known that it was David, I maybe would have gone mm-hmm. down that route and it would have been a very mm-hmm. different work but maybe some yeah. other contents. 
So why do you think they didn't give you the full brief immediately? Uh, was it just to distance yourself from actually um, engaging with Michelangelo's David or, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't understand why they didn't give you the full brief immediately. Yeah, I think, no, yeah, so in terms of us not knowing the source of the brief, um, I think there were a few, I feel like there were a few reasons for that. Um, I think they didn't want us to be too strongly influenced by the initial works. I think they really wanted to give us an opportunity to sort of respond from not knowing and just respond to the brief and um, our own kind of, our own practices kind of meet that. So what was the reaction from the Italians um, and I guess the tourists at the time? Did they understand the work that you made and its relationship to, you know, bodily perfection, I guess, you know, in again, I guess, to the influence of... Um, uh, or reference rather than influence to David and Michelangelo. Yeah, I think um, we got some really kind of really nice feedback from uh, the Italian audiences that we had and the tourists who did visit the show. Um, the show was on for about two days. Um, oh, is that all? Yeah, it was quite oh. a short run. Um, it was oh, kind wow, of- that's all that effort, just two days. <laughs> oh, God, how disappointing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think these things are important to be said. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we did get some really good feedback from because, you know, we shared our works in art school, which was really mm. nice to have that connection yeah. to, you know, it's a classical art school that really, you know, they still practice frescoes and teach fresco mm. there and um, traditional kind of sculpture methods and printmaking um, to have that dialogue because I think, you know, the students kind of go on to be conservators but also historians and writers and, you know, contemporary artists as well but also artists who practice traditional works. Um, and so we got some really lovely feedback. Um, I know, yeah, like um, I kind of had some nice uh, conversations with some of the lecturers on there about my work and mm-hmm. thinking about it relative and um, what it kind of means in terms of like the virtual spaces and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, this idea of like a global dialogue as well because I think my work sort of ties into that as well, mm-hmm. like connections between Europe, America, Australia. Yeah. Um, some kind of content from Africa and from Asia as well. So, mm. yeah, I think some of those sort of things kind of came forth. Because you were at the art school and you saw these traditional practices, did you feel that some of these should be reintroduced into, you know, the Australian art school? Because, I mean, the Australian art school at the moment um, probably is more conceptual, probably doesn't do all the traditional sort of, um, for example, in sculpture they may not do um, in some universities, not all, they may not do bronze foundry or they, they definitely don't do woodworking or um, like marble carving. Marble carving. Do you think some of those sort of traditions should come back into the art school to give students a little bit of a, you know, a, what's that, a glimmer of the past or? Yeah. Or I guess the foundations almost too. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Like, a thought about this a lot in terms of what is the role of the art school in terms mm-hmm. of artistic practice and how can it respond to that. I kind of think all art schools should be really responsive to what the students want and what they're kind of asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that could be a whole bunch of different things, like in terms of more conceptual kind of focus things to more practical kind mm-hmm. of skills. Um, I kind of think, you know, some of these things are quite expensive to Access in terms of like bronze foundry, like bronze foundry, to actually learn that process to do outside of an art school could be mm. incredibly expensive, probably more than like a subject would actually cost to yeah. do it at mm. a university. Um, and so I think it's really op- a great opportunity for people to be able to access 
some of these facilities without that. Um, even printmaking, I think the opportunity to do printmaking in an art school, we have access to really incredibly expensive presses and mm, all the facilities they need. Yeah, 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 all the like, different. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to set that up or, you know, find a printmaking studio to learn that process outside of that space. Welcome to join me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're going to regret that? <laughs> no, but like, yeah, I just kind of think, you know, I think there's definitely a place for learning technical mm. skills in art schools. And I think mm. um, it's important that like, that still has a role in there. Um, and, you know, I think it's an opportunity for us to kind of draw on a whole bunch of different traditions as well, like mm. teach bronze, teach weaving from Central Australia, teach um, Bartik from Indonesia. Like, yeah, I think yeah. if mm. the more skills that kind of people can learn, mm. you know, the more informs how mm. yeah. Yeah, they Using can actually develop their practice. And, yeah, play with ceramics and so forth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ash, if we just go back a bit to the first commissions, what was what would you say was um, one of the outcomes that you in- – received from doing um the, first the commission, commission. Yeah. yeah yeah so um for me um i received uh obviously the payment for the commission uh which was three thousand dollars but um there was also some other kind of professional development kind of things tied in as well so the organizers actually organized for us to have uh media training as well which i was probably for me one of the best parts of the whole process um, which was kind of taking like about two hours sort of meeting with these spe- trained specialists who work in uh, media to kind of go through interviewing skills. Uh, also interviewing skills for when you're in the Italian scenario or in Australia? Uh, for both. Um, yeah. So, you know, like kind of just, uh, you know, etiquette as well, like in terms of um, how to present yourself, whether it's video or radio um, stuff about um maybe clarifying like if you are talking to an international interviewer you know um some of the things that could kind of get mixed up in translation um just a whole bunch of different strategies about that and then we also did some practice um interviews as well and you know there were like i think for me it was quite beneficial because um in the practice interview like you know they had all the generic kind of questions about my work and about the commission and about the university um, but they also kind of got, I don't know, kind of gritty as well, like, you know, what the right-wing media could ask me, um, you know, like questions about um, being Aboriginal or wanting to identify as Aboriginal from being white. I mean, doing like the yeah. finger things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, and, mm. you know, what how to respond to that. And I kind of think, you know, this is something that does face a whole bunch of you know, white passing Aboriginal kind of artists. And like sometimes we just don't, we just don't think about this because, you know, like you're emerging, this maybe isn't like yeah. on, you know, like on the frame that you're sort of on. And like if you do get positioned in this, I think having that training can be really beneficial to work out how to answer some of those trickier questions and, you know, have get professional feedback on it. Yeah. Um, so that was. Can you give us some example, <laughs> you know, of what they trained you, what they told you not to say or? Um, look. There was a whole bunch of. I'll put you on the spot. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. I mean, I guess um, how I would respond to that would be (laughs) Um, your opinion. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it's kind of you know working out how to maybe shift questions to be what how you want to answer them. Um, And so (laughs) didn't do a very good job with that one. But like you know, kind of being mindful of like if a question's asked that you don't want to respond to. You know, how can you shift it to be something that you want to talk about? 
Um, so, you know, if like, you know, if you maybe asked about a particular part of my work that I didn't really have an interest in talking about being like, well, that's maybe one part of the work, but what I really want to talk about is. God, that's amazing. Isn't that? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. good. I can't even do that. Did you have a, an opening for first commissions in Italy? Uh, we did um, have an opening where a whole bunch of uh, media were invited, also academics from around Europe and Italy. Uh, the embassy, the Australian embassies, and um, some officials as well. So it was quite nice to, I think, kind of connect with that. Um, yeah, I want to tell you about my opening I had, uh, but yeah. I want to see if it related to what happened in Florence because each part of Italy has a slightly different way of doing things. Yeah. But what I found really nice was um, when we had our opening, they had like a very formal opening, which was like in another part of the, the building to where the actual works uh, were being exhibited. And, you know, um, I just thought it was lovely. They had a very formal approach. They invited all the dignitaries like they did, um, you know, in your case. Um, but they formally opened the show. We went out and had some drinks and wine and then we sort of walked down to the exhibition gallery, which was quite oh, lovely. Yeah. I thought that was a very nice sort Went of – together as well. Yeah, yeah, a whole oh, group, everyone with really their beautiful. wines, yeah. you know. And it was, you know, like a, a, a summer's evening, yeah. <laughs> you know, day, which is beautiful. And I, I just thought it was a very – lovely civilised thing to do, you know, to sort of have this sort of celebratory opening and then, you know, we all walked down as a group to the exhibition and then and then we all did the normal exhibition things of chit-chatter and, you know, talk about the works and so forth. Um, so was that a similar experience to what they offered you in Florence? Yeah, it was um, definitely a very formal opening um, that, like, you know, there was really beautiful wine. Everyone was kind of dressed, like, immaculately, yeah. like, um, and it's kind of I love that. I like, think like, it's really nice. It is, well, it's really nice. <laughs> I kind of think like it does maybe bring the importance of like the opening of an event and sort of celebrating that moment um, kind of into the forefront because I kind of think in Australia sometimes, I mean, I'm quite often like showing up to openings like really yeah. underpressed. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, yeah, so it's, you know, it's kind of, I think, really nice to take that time and, you know, like you said, like have a celebration but then have that separate from the exhibition as well. Yeah, kind yeah. Of really I just, I just like the fact that um, other people besides the people coming to see the work, um, you know, you had the media there, mm. um, newspapers, people are interested uh, that you're make, actually making something. Mm. And, um, and in our case, we were not from Italy, but in my case it was like an expat coming back to Italy. So there was this idea of, you know, what have you been doing outside of Italy, yeah. <laughs> really? You know, but also uh, the connection I still had with Italy and, you know, my family. Um, which in your case, you know, they would be very excited to, you know, to know about Australia and your cultural background, um, you know, and showing your work in Italy, which, um, and you know, one thing I find about Italians, not only Italians, but Europeans, they have the right art questions. They ask you, they ask you really interesting questions, you know, which um, sometimes is a little bit lacking at some of our uh, openings here. You know, we tend to, you know, congratulate everyone. Um, But the European audience tend to go that little bit further sometimes. You know, they, they actually ask you questions about the work, yeah, which yeah. is like, wow, well, that's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know, your brain goes ticking over time sort of thing, which is uh, lovely. It's kind of, it's really nice, I think, having those dialogues as well, like and having these conversations at the opening. And um, I always remember some advice that I got really early on uh, from one of my lectures from TAFE about only ever having two glasses of wine at opening. Yeah. Especially with your own opening. <laughs> so you, can, you should have taken that. You should have taken that advice that years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, so you can speak to your work and have those mm. conversations, and you know, yeah. remember it. And remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Um, Ash, also we noticed um, like when we're looking at some of your work uh, online that you had a, a disclaimer, you know, especially uh, under the first commissions that because you're using copyrighted work or work that perhaps wasn't your own, um, how did the organisers or the Italian public, the Australian public, how did everyone feel about that? And what was your feelings on that? I know I asked 10 questions in one, but, you know. <laughs> so um, for that work, I so for people who haven't seen the work, it, um, it's kind of multiple video channels um, with a slow kind of panning camera that kind of just uh, pans through like thousands and thousands of images around these ideas of uh, physical beauty and a whole bunch of kind of related kind of searches connected to that. Um, so there's, you know, cyborgs and um, cosplay and a whole bunch of um, different representations of that, um, representations from different cultures as well. Um, and so all these images are essentially only pulled from Google searches. So they're images that can be found readily available on Google. Um, and so I was kind of quite aware that, you know, in terms of my regular exhibitions that maybe just being that, that are just an artist run or, you know, small spaces around Melbourne or just online, that this did have potentially larger reach. And I was kind of worried about the repercussions of that in terms mm-hmm. of the use of these images. Um, and so I sourced them only from kind of these available sort of sources, but I also wrote my own legal statement to kind of accompany the work. Um, and so this legal statement was kind of taken from looking at a whole bunch of different statements from other exhibitions that operate in very similar senses who have used material from similar sources uh, to kind of create that statement. Um, and then the university was really helpful. They actually gave me access to a number of lawyers who kind of proofed that statement to make sure it held up and that it made sense. So the premise of the work is it is a critique of these ideas of human perfection and beauty. Um, and so because it is a critique of these concepts um, and a critique done through sort of an editorial kind of method of sort of showing these alternative views, um, it does open up for the potential to use these images. Yeah. And the images are quite altered in a sense that they operate, even though the image is kind of existence whole sense, it's kind of shrunk into this massive, like different proportion. Yeah. It's pan past often. It's at a perspective that sometimes it can be hard to read. Um, yeah. How long did you take you to make the work? <laughs> added up maybe the total amount of time, but it was quite extensive. I sort of spent hours and hours sort of making the metal structure and kind of researching that in terms of like it references a whole bunch of proportions relative to the human body. Um, Can you give us some scale of what the size is? Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, the tallest part um, is kind of the standard door frame height, um, which I used as one of the references. And then the other heights are actually kind of average heights of people. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of like roughly so like some parts of it tower over people, other parts are kind of quite relative to the height of a person. Um, and, yeah, so it took me quite a long time to sort of build all those structures and kind of source the materials to do that. And then I kind of got to the video of the ed- – like the ed- – making the videos and then I was like, oh, I probably used up all the time that I should have spent on this commission <laughs> and now I've got hundreds of hours of editing and seek, like searching for images and finding those and so I kind of did all that. But I think it was kind of really like a labour of love like in terms of finding these images and then, you know, doing the related searches to find more images and what those images are and really kind of delving deep into some of those stories. Did you find anything um, while researching these images, did you find anything 
sort of guess you were searching for, like internally, I guess, in your in your practice, then perhaps these images gave off? I think for me, like it was sort of, I guess something, you know, like without kind of spending a lot of time thinking about um, human perfection, sort of seeing all these different ideas of it being played out in society. Um, so this idea of kind of maybe a prosthetic as an extension of the human um, and how that can kind of be a form of perfection or um, people becoming comfortable in their own bodies and how they're sort of expressing that online uh, through images or blogs or um, a whole bunch of YouTube videos, um, some of the other conversations that are having about it as well, sort of um, ideas, you know, relating to comic books and people idolising certain figures as well. Like I remember there was a really funny meme about um Waluigi and how he's like the perfect partner and, and you know this like idea that yeah. like this perfection like can take so many different forms and all these yeah. collateral things that kind of connect to it sort of feed in and sort of build up a, like people's relationships to it so uh with the actual uh ipads that use the uh images to play back is there a distinct narrative from one iPad to another or are they all pretty much an, an individual narrative happening in each iPad yeah. structure? Yeah, so each um, iPad um, had like a slightly different video that sort of played. Um, so some of the images would be the same because they were kind of drawn from similar archives. Some would be different. Um, mm-hmm. But they essentially kind of all sort of speak to this kind of field of images and the variety of images that are out there. So um, I guess in some senses that, each one did have some unique searches kind of in them. So they would have maybe ideas relating to specific cultures. Um, they don't actually have maybe a kind of set narrative or kind of tell mm. kind of that story. I did want to ask a question. What was it like to represent VCA as a student um, or alumni, I guess, in that sense, and as a man from the Gwandamuka country at the same time? Did you think about you know, the importance of representing it in, in your first commission? Mm. Yeah, I considered this quite a bit. Um, I was aware, um, I can't remember the exact process, sorry, it's like, it was right. the last year, I don't remember when either. That's okay. <laughs> um, but was it such a burden to feel that you had to represent um, the university and, um, and your community? All pressures. Yeah. You yeah. to do both and to do yeah. things right, I guess, mm. in that sense. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, I did feel the pressure to, I think, represent um, at least my own community um, uh, from Kondomoku country. And so my logic for that was, you know, like international exposure to Indigenous art is very, um, through a particular framework, um, often international kind of people like, especially if they're not maybe art literate, um, maybe only think of, Indigenous art as dot painting. Um, and so I made a conscious decision to position myself as an Aboriginal artist uh, for that project to, I think, open up potentially to some international audiences that um, Indigenous art is dot painting, but it's also digital artwork. It's also sculpture. It's also painting on canvas. You know, it's actually it's more, more than maybe it's what, more than what people they... kind of think. Yeah. Um, I think... I do sort of, you know, I'm always, I think, quite sceptical of these spaces. And I know, like, a lot of um, minority kind of groups are. It's like, are you the token kind of Indigenous person or, you know, are you the token queer person or whatever? And so I was quite sceptical 
of that and mm. you know like it was i felt like there were some really hard moments during the commission where we had to have really tough conversations about representation mm-hmm. um was this just an inner turmoil that you were struggling with yourself or were you getting this from uh, the organizer i think um i think part of it was like my own feelings about uh, what the intentions were for filming and to kind of um, tell a story around the work that I was making. Um, you know, there was one part early on where we had, I had miscommunicated um, or I felt like that maybe I miscommunicated because people had a very different idea of what the work would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was quite upsetting for me. And I think for also the organisers involved that this commun- miscommunication happened, that they thought my work was going to be something very different to what I was making. And you know, it was quite hard to resolve that. And I think we came through that quite well. But I think it's just kind of being mindful of like what people's preconceptions could be or what they kind of mm. think something could be and sort of having those conversations and communicating really clearly. Yeah. I guess that's the hardship when you do a commission because some, sometimes people who commission you to do something have a preconceived idea of perhaps what they expect you to do and mm. um, to maybe surprise them. Maybe a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> it yeah. could be a mixture of things. Who knows? Um, but look, Ash, you also mentioned uh, you did some work overseas. In Was it India? Um, uh, Indo- Indonesia. Indonesia, sorry. Um, tell us, what was that all about? Yeah. Um, or how did that come about? Tell us everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was a similarly kind of uh, collaboration. Um, it was through the New Colombo Plan for Australia, which is kind of a government uh, funded sort mm-hmm. of exchange program where a whole bunch of different um, disciplines across the whole university sector have opportunities to go to different countries to engage in uh, study overseas, but also sort of uh, projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this one was specifically focused on the art. Um, so I spent some time working with the students of um, Izzy, the Indonesian uh I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's like yeah. one of the major kind of um, art schools in Indonesia based in uh, Jogjakarta. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you choose that destination or was that like one of the destinations you could have chosen from, for example? Yeah, it was, I think, the only one that was sort of open for um, the arts kind of exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, And so it's kind of a program that's set up by, it's, as far as I understand, it's a program that's kind of set up by the government in terms mm-hmm. of trying to build relationships with other kind of countries and sort of nurture those relationships. Um, and so I spent kind of two weeks at um, Izzy sort of working with students there and kind of collaborating. Um, and we sort of actually made a theatre work, which was quite different uh, Great, for me. Yeah. Um, but it kind of and I think the, really... Were the students there, sorry to interrupt, um, young or your similar age, university age? or Yeah. Um... Yeah, probably slightly... I mean, because like I'm... Um, would have been mature age mm. by definition when I went to university in Australia, so probably slightly younger than me. Yeah. Um, but then university in Indonesia actually goes for a number of years longer than mm. in Australia. Like students often there will be studying for four to five or six years. Yeah. Um, you know, their course is quite um quite intensive as well. Mm. Um so like, you know, philosophy being really, really tied into um some of their studies as well. So I think it's quite intensive program that they go through yeah so what was the project about was the project that you brought along or when you arrived there you saw the students you saw the art rooms is it something that 
came out of Indonesia or you brought to them and then worked with it? It was very much um, a collaborative process. So sort of having conversations and doing workshops together and kind of um, developing the project together. Um, and so we... What were the workshops? Uh, a whole bunch of different ones. So theater-based ones, um, material-based kind of craft sort of ones, mm-hmm. um, some, I guess, kind of thought process kind of workshops. So a whole bunch of different sort mm-hmm. of... I guess, ways of sort of developing creative practices in the most broader sense. Um, but, yeah, like, um, I just didn't mean to blink. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And um, did you present the theatre piece uh, to the school, to the parents, to the family? Oh, I don't know. How did you yeah. – what was the final yeah, outcome? So, um, it's a really beautiful school. I highly recommend if anyone – is um, in ever visit Jojo Jakarta to visit Izzy. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a quite amazing. They have multiple theatre spaces um, at their university, um, but we were in this really, really kind of old one that we presented mm-hmm. um, our work, and we sort of presented on the main stage. But some of the other kind of works that were also made as part of this project were presented in other parts of the theatre as well. So it was kind of like a really kind of more experimental, where the crowd were kind of led through to different performances. Um, and what were the performances? Oh, a whole bunch of different sort of ones. They're all very theatrical kind of based. Um, Ours was actually mostly singing. Um, And so we worked with um, Millet, uh, who was one of the students there, who taught us a song from, a traditional song from Burma, I believe, Mm -hmm. um, which um, was essentially about um, this kind of old story about sort of coming home. And so she taught us a song and we sort of developed a work around that. and, yeah, it was kind of, I think, really beautiful to sort of share that experience and kind of learn more about um, Indonesian kind of culture in, like, a sort of broader sense um, because, obviously, Indonesia is made up of multiple islands and kind of a whole bunch of different experiences and stories and histories. So kind of learning about all that, but then also bringing our stories from um, Australia and our countries here. Um, so, yeah. And what was the reception there when they heard your stories? Did it? <laughs> Yeah, it was Were great. they interested? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of really great. Like, sort of connecting. Um, I really connected with um, Millet, who I worked with, um, because there were a lot of similarities in terms of the village that she was from, just from like an island um, state. Um, you know, also having a family there from an island, mm-hmm. so kind of um, a lot of connections there in terms of like fishing culture, um, living amongst like tramp- like you know rainforests. Um, so it was kind of quite nice to share that. I was quite jealous. Her family had monkeys at oh. their backyard. I was kind of like, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, like it was kind of, I think, really nice to share those stories and kind of learn mm. a lot. Um, the reception of the production, well, the works that we sort of made were actually really strong as well. We ended up doing two showings of them. Oh, I love that. Um, to pretty much like packed audiences. Like yeah. if it was ticketed, we would have yeah. definitely like sold out both times which is strange like background but yeah it was kind of interesting and did you go alone or was there other people that you went and did this um would you call it a commission or collaboration or residency kind of a, yeah i think it's sort of a residency and so a few um students also from Omni uni kind mm. of went as well but you all did different things yes yeah, yeah so we yeah. All kind of had different sort of collaborations and you know i think that's similar in some sense to a first commission kind of project, mm. uh, cool from different different disciplines, mm. um, discourses, but um, yeah, the art. Mm. 
different yeah, based on yeah. Sure. yeah but um it was kind of it was really interesting like one thing which i really took away from the whole experience is i did this really amazing workshop with um mr rothy uh who was one of their senior theater lecturers and he did a really beautiful workshop with us taking us through a movement vocal workshop to understand materiality through an embodied kind of understanding mm-hmm. um and it was kind of a really interesting sort of practice a way of sort of approaching materials and sort of history um and understanding what those connections are through maybe theater space um going through a sculptural practice where i think when i went through ssp there was a huge focus on materiality and research and yeah. understanding those sort of histories so actually thinking about that through a different structure I found really beneficial. And mm, great. Right. And do you think it influenced any of your future works? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think definitely. Like maybe not in a way that I could pinpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I think thinking really deeply through materials and the histories they hold. Um, so a really key part of that workshop is kind of essentially taking a material and kind of thinking about all the processes that have been through like where it was mined from, how it was, if it was like ceramic, for example, mm. like how it's been fired, the glazes, where the glazes came from. Yeah. You know, even how it was handled in the store that maybe you bought it from, how long it sat in that store, mm. like really deeply thinking about kind of every moment of that object's existence, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which I think is kind of like an interesting sort of thing when, you know, you work with these objects as, as an artist or these materials as an artist and kind of, you know, sometimes I think some practices maybe don't consider these things. and. Maybe that's an oversight or, you know, what can be got at, like, you know, what can be learnt from thinking about some of these. Um, okay. Um, I guess we've spoken in the beginning too that uh, you've returned back to study to do your master's. Uh, what made you consider to go back or continue studying, uh, you know, once you finished honours and you had a few commissions under your belt? So you're pretty much, like, I guess, starting. Starting your career. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess why, why, why the return back to university? Yeah, I think um, and why, and why the sabbatical? No, I can understand the sabbatical because we've got the COVID nineteen and all that at the moment, so it's probably a good time to have a bit of a sabbatical. Yeah, yeah, I think um, so part it's kind of really tricky. Like I kind of returned to study at the start of last year, um, doing my MFA at the Victorian College of the Arts or. University of Melbourne. But yeah, I kind of really sort of went back to kind of uh, extend the research that I had been doing in the years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, the actual research project um, that I proposed to do, which ended up changing over the course of my first year, was kind of looking at post internet ideas in Indigenous practice. So thinking about what that means within my own practice, but also identifying it in other practitioners' work as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, are um, we looking at uh, Indigenous artists or are we looking pretty much as a broad range, you know, uh, of artists overseas, Australia, everywhere? Yeah, so I guess, um, like, for me, I really kind of think about sort of post-internet ideas as being sort of what is internet's relationship to our experience now and how does it feed into every part of our life and how can we contemplate that as a part of the artworks that we make but um i was mainly wanting to focus on looking at my own work like obviously it's a practice-led kind of uh research course um but also looking at other indigenous artists relative to the discourse that's happening overseas mm-hmm. um so post-internet art has a huge discourse in europe 
um, but also in America, like mostly centered in uh, New York. Um, but then we also see, like I also have identified that there's probably a lot of practices in Australia that are kind of working with these kind of ideas, but it's not fitted into that particular discourse. Yeah. Um, but I think it was through realizing maybe the fact that it's not initially keyed into those discussions, maybe it's not, like I was unsure whether it would be appropriate to make that tie and kind of have that dialogue. So I sort of, I think restructured my research a bit and kind of shifted it more back into the research that I was doing earlier into the archive collections, sort of producing works from those. So, um, and then I think kind of coming out of that sort of turmoil, um, I had like a quite minor car accident last year oh, that no. rode off my car. Oh, no. And it was quite, quite expensive and traumatic yeah. um, just for a whole bunch of personal reasons in terms of, you know, my life and all these different kind of things. Um, so I actually had gone started the process of taking leave this year yes. from studying my master's, you know, to yeah. kind of get my project back together, you know, because I think it was going through such a huge change of working out what it really needs to be. Um, and so I started that project, like started that process of sort of taking leave and then COVID happened and I sort of held off a little bit because I was like, oh, how's this going to play out? Like maybe I'll have more time to do the research and it will be fine. And then I think I realized that just didn't seem to make sense to mm. continue at this point. So I'm just currently having a year's leave before I return next year. All right. Oh, that's good. It's probably the best way to go. Yeah. Um, don't ever think you're going to waste the first year because I thought the same thing myself because I started researching and trying to develop different and play with different techniques and mediums and materials that I always used to think that my first year was wasted. But it's something I think, especially if you are doing a, a proper research, of um, that you have to go through that. You have to sort of challenge yourself and, and try these things uh, and you find that your research will evolve and before you know it, you, you'll be at the end of it and you've exactly. done a thesis and you're oh, my God, this is so surreal. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I know. But um, uh, now, how do you see your future work? Uh, are you working on anything that's different or continuation? I know you're doing your master's and we've gone into sabbatical, mm -hmm. but tell us about any new projects you may have on the ball or or any new sort of um, things that you might want to talk to us about. You know? yeah. <laughs> I've kind of sort of, I guess, like after the stuff that happened at the end of last year, I've been kind of having a bit of a break from making. Um, I have essentially made one kind of new work this year that was in a show that um, was kind of disrupted by COVID um, up at Outer Space in Brisbane. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess kind of in that break, like I'm sort of, just, I think, still in the process of having a bit of a break from making. So I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of thinking about making and working on kind of sort of collateral practices. Um, so at the moment, I've been kind of working on a project and I haven't released it yet. Don't know when this podcast will be released, but it might be out. By yeah. But yeah. around this idea of like we can do better, and mm. it's a concept of how can we improve um, the Melbourne art scene, and what are some of the things that we could do better as an art community. Um, and so, as a part of that, I've been doing a lot of research into um, accessibility for PDFs um, and content. And so, I've been working this guide to release as part of this project on how we can kind of create room sheets that can be accessible um, and, you know, like just some guides because I think people are engaged with these ideas, but sometimes it's really, really hard to do the research. And I'm finding that people who are interested in some of these kind of ideas 
spend like a lot of time sort of researching themselves where if there was mm. just a resource that was actually already collated together that maybe that could free up time for us all to actually spend more time <laughs> you know making and doing the other things but also being able to support and kind of make these other connections so that's a thing i've been working on a lot so is this like a bit of a side project or is this going to be like i don't know an art piece uh, <laughs> it's definitely i think a side project because i guess like i haven't touched on too much but i kind of i'm really interested in the work that I do involved in other organizations and facilitating work with other artists. Um, and I do definitely see this as an opportunity to kind of expand how we see art as a whole mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it, I think it lets me sort of produce things that are within the vein of art while I have a break from making art, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. temporary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's great. I think it's a beautiful way, beautiful way of you know, collaborating all these things together, but also like other people could also collaborate and help out on this platform as well. So, um, Ash, we're going to wrap up. Thank I just you wanna, so like, much. Thank you for being so generous with, you know, your experiences as, you know, an artist and going through all these things first time round and sharing them. Um, we just wanted to ask if you, you, know, you had anything, you know, at the time that we're in at the moment, there's lots of things happening in this world, but is there anything that you'd like to share with our audiences, a message or advice or anything like that that you'd like to? Um, I think, you know, we're in such a crazy sort of time. Um, obviously, like we're recording this on the day that there will be a Black Lives Matter march in Melbourne. Um, and so I just kind of think it's really important for people to sort of, you know, put your money where your mouth is and kind of try to support others. Um, I think we have a lot of problems in Australia for Indigenous people, but also uh, a whole bunch of different kind of people in Australia. Like, you know, I was thinking the other day about that poor woman who died in Adelaide um, who had a disability and wasn't receiving the support that she needed. And I just kind of think as a society, we can do better for Indigenous people. We can do better for queer people, for uh people with disabilities i think it's kind of really important like in this time where you know there is so much kind of turmoil happening just looking out for one another and trying to work out ways that we can try to improve things to everyone that's exactly yeah <laughs> you put it all together we, we agree us. with you definitely yeah well thank you so much it's been a real honor to have you here and i hope you'll join us again maybe later yeah. in the year we can continue our conversations yeah. you know with other with other yeah. artists as well like welcome to join us it'd be really nice thank you we want to hear some more funny stories oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to keep up to date with us follow us on facebook and instagram at the brilla girls This episode is sponsored by Adam the Flowerman. Adam the Flowerman offers floral styling for homes, weddings, commercial environments and corporate events. Tell him the Brillo girl sent you. You can find him in Sandringham, shop online or in store. www.adamtheflowerman.com.au Well, it's the Brillo girls.